So what is the one word to best describe the emotion you're feeling right now after watching all of those people engage in dangerous, dangerous stuff? Fear, some awesome fear, terror. Did you know the Bible teaches that God gave each of us the emotion of fear to guide us and to protect us? That God actually did that for us. Uh, let's get, uh, give an example. Uh, let's say that you're on a safari with some friends, and then at the last minute, uh, uh, out of nowhere, a lion jumps out, and what happens? This is what God did for you. At the moment, at the nanosecond the lion jumps out, you go down to the lower level, the basement of your brain, and there is a, there is a thing called the amygdala that is there, and it will instantaneously send a signal to your adrenal gland, which exists on the top of your kidney, to release two hormones, one called cortisol, the other called adrenaline. And what these two hormones will do is constrict your air passages of oxygen so that oxygen can be redistributed to your muscles to respond instantaneously in one of three ways, either fight, flight, or freeze. Hopefully, in the situation related to the lion, you choose flight, and you are blessed to be able to at least outrun the slowest member of your group. This is what it is. So this is good. God has given us this emotion to react in this way to protect us. But what ends up happening is long after the traumatic situation subsides, we choose to stay in the basement of our brain. And if you stay down there too long, the place where we deal with survival issues, if you stay down there too long, the door gets shut and you can't go back to the upstairs where there is a sense of peace and joy and love. What happens then, you live, you find yourself in a constant state of fear, a constant state of fear, anxiety, depression emerges. And I have told you, I've been open to you in the past. I will continue to do so because I think we lead best from our places of weakness than we do our places of strength. I went a period not too long ago, not since I've been here, an eight-month period where I lived in the basement of my brain in the survival mode, even though there was nothing of particular that was terrorizing me and I couldn't get back upstairs again. This is serious stuff, chronic fear. But I am not alone. Take a look at these statistics. The first one says that an estimated of 284 million people worldwide experience an anxiety disorder, making it the most prevalent mental health disorder around the globe. The second statistic I want to throw up is this one. Here it goes. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States, age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year. So essentially, if this is correct, we can count out 10 people, and two of you are struggling with what's called chronic anxiety or chronic fear. And we know that 18 and below, those numbers are skyrocketing. Then you add on top of that 
the year, or some would say the decade of 2020. And then people who are not prone to anxiety and fear all of a sudden join the support group. We have a pandemic. We have racial tension. We have rioting and looting. And now in nine days, we have the most contentious election that I've ever experienced in my life. And it is just welling up all kinds of fear within us. So the question is, with this fear, some specialists would say sort of a global PTSD going on in society, we have overrun levels of cortisol and adrenaline pumping through our body. So the question is, what would a doctor prescribe to you in such a situation? Well, I am not a doctor, but I played one on television. And so I am going to play that part today and give you a prescription that I Googled, so don't take it too seriously. But actually, some of it's pretty good. It's just two things. I want to prescribe two things to you. Um, the first one is this. The doctor will likely tell you in this situation that you should get about 30 minutes of cardio every single day because the cardio will burn the cortisol and adrenaline out of your system. When I was going through my eight-month stent, my family doctor recommended this to me, and I ran two 5Ks seven days a week. The, the drug that I would recommend is called Lysodren. Lysodren would be the drug that I would recommend. Uh, and it has very few side effects, nausea and diarrhea. All right. That's not great, but hey, it might help you with these overrun levels of cortisol and adrenaline. So there you go. But the best question to ask is what does the Bible prescribe in overcoming fear in our lives? There is something I have some experience with, okay? What does the Bible prescribe to help us overcome our fear? So in this season, these next four weeks, we want to do a series on wisdom. Prescribe to you wisdom because we feel like what followers of Jesus need more than any other thing in this season as it's unfolding over between now and the remainder of the year is God's wisdom, and I want you to know the Bible says a lot about overcoming our fear. And if you have your app open, the Westside Family Church app open, and go to the gathering notes, you can go and see the scriptures I'm going to refer to as well as these principles I want to put before you. So if you're taking notes, write this one down. The first one is fear is our foe. Fear is our foe, the Bible says. Consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? Can you? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, no, you cannot. As a matter of fact, research shows that actually perpetual worry can take hours off of your life. Listen to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24. What the wicked dread will overtake them. Now look at that carefully. What the wicked dread will overtake them. It doesn't say people dread what overtakes them, but rather it says what they dread overtakes them. In this passage, it's referring to people who do not know God, who do not follow God, or people that know God but choose not to live in the principles of God. They get all worked up about things and they live in a constant state of fear. 
and ultimately the, the, that fear of what might happen actually is overtaking him. It's not the thing itself. It is the fear of the thing that might happen that eventually overtakes them. In this way, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You probably heard this, but findings show that 91.4% of predicted worries did not come true for the participants. What does it mean? It means that the vast majority of things that we let riddle our lives in fear and the fear itself is what overtakes us never actually comes about isn't that amazing now i want you to consider a proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 it says fear of man will prove to be a snare the fear of man will prove to be a snare Manipulative people can get you to do almost anything by creating fear in you. Listen very carefully, because this is going on all today. If someone can find out what you fear, they can control you. There's been massive movements, for example, the Holocaust or the terrorists of 9-11. That's why they're called terrorists, because they inflict terror in us. And once they found that spot and get us to bite, they can control everything that we do and everything that we say and where we go and where we don't go. And it's not just one person. Whole groups of people, countries, and worlds can be manipulated by it. And we still have that going on today. If we bite, if we allow that fear to overtake us, they are now in charge of us more than we would like to know. And the Bible says that's a snare. That is a trap. Don't fall for it. But the Bible also says, principle number two, fear is your friend. Now, at the basic level, we've already talked about this in the story of the lion jumping out of the jungle. But it's much Deeper than that, I need you to lean in. The Bible teaches that fear can be your friend when the object of your fear is properly placed. Let me read that again. Fear can be your friend when the object of your fear is properly placed. Here's the truth. Anything that is bigger than, and stronger than us, anything that is bigger or stronger than us, can be considered an object of fear because they can overtake us. What the Bible is encouraging us to do is to label, is to call out what is the biggest and strongest being or thing of all that is bigger and stronger than all of the others. The Bible is going to say you need to place your fear in that one thing or that one person. And we know that, in fact, that is God. Consider Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. You've seen it before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that living wisely and overcoming the schemes of manipulative people and scary circumstances, overcoming it, begins by shifting the object of your fear. The Bible does not, uh, in a naive sort of way, tell you not to fear. It's within your DNA to fear. The Bible is encouraging you to shift 
your fear to a single object. And that single object is God. Believing that God is greater than all of the other things that incite fear in us. Instead of fearing a multitude of things, we simplify our life by fearing one thing. By fearing God who turns out to be able to control all things and kick the stuffing out of anyone at any time. This is true about God. And no one uh, encountered this more than a guy named Job in the Old Testament. You're probably familiar with the story, but in the course of maybe a week, he lost all 10 of his children. His business went bankrupt. And to top it off, physically, he was covered with boils from head to toe. And in a moment of weakness, let's give him a little bit of a break. He justifies himself before God and asks God the why question and questions God. And you'd say, hey, give the guy a break. But his friend named Elihu said, okay, Job, you've been questioning God? Well, he's going to answer you. He's going to answer you. And his voice is going to come out of a storm that is coming from the north. Let me just give you a small collection of the things that God said to Job in response to his questioning of God and see if this doesn't cause you to want to place all of your fear on the single focus of God himself. Okay, stay with me. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. What is the way to the abode of light, and where does darkness reside? Can you tell me, can you take me to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwelling? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years, God is saying, tongue-in-cheek, has a sense of humor. Can you bind the chains of Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? The answer to all of this is no. Job has access to none of this, but God does. He absolutely does. Have you ever given orders to the morning? And the response should be super simple, is that when you place your fear on God, you are in a great place because God, in fact, is greater than all of these other fears combined. Now, if you're in the West Side app, at the very bottom, you can scroll down. We have three going deeper questions for you. Number two, I lay out um, a number of scriptures that give explicit information on the benefits that comes to the follower who fears God. And now that's a hard concept that we're supposed to fear God, but here list 
uh, it lists out all of the benefits that come from taking this position of giving God all of the fear of your life versus all of these other things. I just want to call out one. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. Here's how the writer puts it. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Through the fear of the Lord, evil can be avoided in your life. Now, to describe this concept, because it's, it's, it's sort of rough for us, I want to kind of go down to a lower story example, and then we'll come back upstairs again, okay? I want to tell you something about myself that is absolutely true. In my 59 and a half years of life, 59 and a half years, I have never taken any form of smoke into my lungs, nor have I taken any illegal drug of any kind. No, not one. Now, for some of you, that's not your story. I get it, but it is my story. And you say, how did you pull it off? The answer is because I have the discipline of steel. I did not engage in any of these things because I feared my father. You feeling me here? My dad was a blue-collar guy that worked with his hands, and he was one of those guys, his hands were humongous and callous, and they were scary. And on top top of that, when my dad came home from work, he went to a volunteer job as a volunteer police officer back in the day when volunteer police officers could carry guns. My dad owned guns. And he made it very clear to us that we are to not engage in any of these activities or there would be dire consequences. And I believed him. I absolutely believed him. And it's interesting, my dad never spanked me in his entire life. Now, my mom, on the other hand, (laughs) took a stick to me on numerous occasions. And I know some of you don't believe that. It helped me in immense ways. My last spanking came at the age of 16. Sometime we'll have a cup of coffee, and I'll tell you about that. I totally deserved it. But my dad never laid a hand on me. He didn't have to because I believed, I believed He would deliver the consequences if I engaged in those things. And as a result, I avoided a great deal of evil that might have come to me that has come to so many others and has brought them down. Fear protected me when I was young and unwise. The fear of my father protected me when I was young and unwise. And now that I am on my own, I am so grateful because I haven't been caught in the snare of any of those addictive experiences that no one gets into to destroy their life. They get into it when they're young and unwise to be cool. But I thought the fear of my father was much bigger deal than being cool amongst my friends. And as a result, the right properly placed fear in my father kept me from those things. I'm not saying that that works for every kid. I'm just saying it worked for me. Now, the question is, how do we make this real in our lives? What is the Bible's prescription for overcoming our fear? And in the Old and the New Testament, there are two things the Bible says you can do to actually um, overcome your fear or have conquest over your fear. If you're taking notes, write this down. Free, I can overcome, I can have freedom from fear 
by the presence of God. I can have freedom from fear by the presence of God. What do I mean? I want to quote the famous passage of Scripture in Psalm 23. I'll say the first part. I want you to finish the second part with me where the answer is at. David says, even though I walk through the dark valley, or the older version says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, say it with me, I will fear no evil for you are with me in the darkest valley of death. I can overcome my fear. Why? Because you are with me. Now, I think I've told you this story before, but it bears telling again because it's the best one that I have. I'm going to go back down into the lower story again to give us an analogy that might help us understand what the Bible is teaching. As a kid, I was afraid of the boogeyman, the ghosts, the monsters, and the trolls, particularly the ones that lived under my bed. I grew up in uh, East Cleveland, Ohio, and under our, my bed was this steel grate, and every night, particularly in the winter, I would hear all kinds of noises coming from inside of that grate, and I didn't have a concept of basement at the time. I just would hear what I thought were trolls and monsters down there working and there were times when the noise got right to the edge of the grate, and I just knew that they were going to come out of that grate and snatch me. Many a night, I would just simply cover myself up with my blankets, believing that somehow they wouldn't see me. But there was one particular night when it got so loud, I was convinced that they were undoing the grate. And as soon as they did, they were going to snatch me and suck me into the grate, and I would never see my family again. And I decided that... On the count of three, I was going to jump out of my bed far away where they couldn't grab my ankles, and I was going to beeline and into my parents' bedroom, and that's exactly what I did, screaming. I jumped, jumped over my dad and landed in between my mom and dad. My dad always was in the front of the bed, and once I nestled up against my father, within three minutes, I fell fast asleep. You want to know Why? Because I believed that my father was bigger and stronger than all of the trolls, the monsters, the ghosts, and the boogeyman combined. I believed that if I was close to him when they came after me, they were going to lose. Because my dad is super strong. And this is what it means to fear the Lord over the fear of everything else. To make it real, we need to learn how to come into the presence of God. And for some of you big, you know, burly dudes, this is not going to be language that helps you very much, but you're going to need to go back into your inner child. You're going to need to learn how to curl up in the lap of God. You're going to need to learn to snuggle up close to him. And the reality is the Bible teaches the moment you receive the forgiveness of sin, the presence of God takes up residence in you. We just need to stop long enough to bask in it. We can connect and feel the presence of God through private and corporate worship, a spiritual discipline. We can connect to the presence of God in a real way within us by prayer and by meditation. We can connect to the presence of God by the community with other believers in Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, where just two 
or more are gathered in my name, there I show up right there in the midst of you. The presence of Christ right there in a powerful, potent way. And that's why we're putting all of our eggs in these A2 communities, just begging every follower of Jesus to have a small band of other followers of Jesus that gathers in his name, which simply means what? It simply means that you are loving God and loving each other. It simply means that you're day by day becoming more like Jesus. It just means that as a community, you are sharing Jesus with the people around you so that other people might come to know of his saving grace. This is what it means to gather in his name. And when you do that, the presence of Christ shows up and you can feel his presence and you will sense fear subsiding. As a matter of fact, with that said, we have this little bracelet. They're still available. As a matter of fact, we made some smaller ones for you ladies. We did, okay? So we're going to put those out here in a little bit. My wife's uh, kept stretching and falling off. And uh, so we got her a little baby one, and it's working big time. I'm actually going to try it as well. I have the skinniest of all wrists, okay? But it identifies who we are as a church. Can you say it with me? Let's do it right, okay? We are God's family, loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus, sharing Jesus, to raise up Christ-centered families in our city and beyond by wrapping God's family around your family. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Okay, the second prescription that the scriptures would give us on finding freedom from our fear, write this down, is by perfected love. By perfected love. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. There is no fear in love. Hmm. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, how do we reconcile that with what we just talked about? Let me go back down to the lower story again. Even though my dad's love for me was imperfect, as my love for my children is imperfect, I knew that my dad loved me and that he had my best interest in mind. I've already determined that he was bigger and stronger than anything else I feared, and now that I rub up against him knowing that he's not going to turn that holy terror against me, but he's going to act on my behalf, then when I bask in the love that my earthly father has for me, coupled with his mighty strength, it brings great peace and joy in my life. How much more so if we were to bask in God's, not imperfect, but perfect love for us. Because God, the most powerful force in the world, it turns out that he loves you. And he has your best interest in mind. I'm going to put up a very popular passage of scripture. And I want you to declare it for yourself of God's plans for you. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Here it goes. Say it out loud with me. Ready? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But we have to learn how to receive God's perfected love. And I have found that there are some of us, because we either didn't have a father or we didn't have a father who loved us, that we struggle receiving love from God. Or it can be because you sense that you are unlovable, 
that you have done so many things in your life that are not good, that certainly you have fallen out of the scope of God's love for you. Can I tell you, nothing could be deeper into the pit of hell than that lie. God loves you even in the midst of your worst sin. Read the story of the prodigal son told by Jesus this week every day and you will believe in such a thing. So back to the election for just a moment. Nine days away. I believe this is the current thing topped upon everything else that is creating fear and anxiety in many of us. And here are some things from the scripture that I want to give you to help you. Okay, Number one, God is in charge. Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? God is in charge. Number two, it is God who ultimately raises up one king and tears down another. Do you know there has never been a coup or an election in the history of humanity that God has not superintended over its results? Feast your eyes on Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. He knows all, does all. He changes the seasons. You ever tried to do that? I have here in Kansas City. He changes the season and guides history. He raises up kings and also brings them down. Number three, God has used ungodly leaders in the past to accomplish his purposes. I call your attention to Pharaoh of the Old Testament uh, in Egypt, I call your attention to Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. I call your attention to Artaxerxes from Persia. God used these secular or pagan ungodly leaders to f- move forward the upper story plan of God. He did it then, and he's superintending to do it now, whatever the outcome of the election is. So I say to you with great passion, church, God's got this. God's got this. God's got us. Because why? Because all we need to do is to place our fear in its proper place and peace can emerge. I say it without hesitation. God is bigger than Donald Trump. God is bigger than Joe Biden. God is bigger than the coronavirus. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Amen. You and I need to daily transfer our fear and reverence by taking these two prescriptions on a daily basis. We can overcome fear, have freedom from fear by practicing his presence and by his perfected love. So we're going to enter into a time of worship. And this is one of the primary vehicles whereby we can take in these prescriptions. And today, before you leave, I want you to take your daily dosage. Your daily dosage. And so what I want to ask you to do, whether you're here in Lenexa or Speedway or even watching online, if I could, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to ask you all to close your eyes. And I have a reason for that. I don't want anybody to be self-conscious. Close your eyes. And if you would like to receive these prescriptions, this daily dosage, then I want to to hand them out to you. If you would like to receive them with no one looking, 
I'd like you to take your hands and fold them upward, turn them upward, your palms upward, to God, signaling to God that you want to receive these two prescriptions today. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take a deep breath. Take it in. Ready? Hold it. Now let it all out. And I want you to say these words after me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay, take another deep breath. Ready? Let it out. Take in God. Cast out fear. And say it with me again. Ready? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. With your heads still bowed and your eyes closed, I want to tell you that in my first pastorate in Fort Worth, Texas, we had a worship leader who has since gone on to be with the Lord who would do this occasionally. And the first time he did it, it really sort of uh, captured all of us. And I want to have you experience it. It's the best way, I think, to maybe get this medicine down. I want to invite you, if you're wanting to receive uh, I want you to now take your hands and just place them over your heart. Everyone's eyes are closed. You don't need to feel self-conscious. Just signal to God that you want to receive it. Okay, now, as, as you're in that spot, if you, if you need to peek with one eye, I'm going to put the words to a simple song, old song, up on the screen. I'm going to sing it to you once, and then I'm going to invite you to sing it to God. There is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long And find there is none like you Okay, now your turn. Sing it to God. Ready? Here you go. There is none like you From your heart No one else can touch my heart like you do I can search for all eternity long And find there is none like you But then the Worship pastor, well, he surprised us. And he said, now I'm going to sing it back to you. And I want you to be quiet. Hands over your heart. And I want you to hear God singing this song to you personally. There is none like you. Like you. Mm -hmm. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. Now just take the palms of your hand and lift them upwards again. 
Take another deep breath. Take in God. Exhale fear. And say to him, I receive your love. Say it. I receive your love. And all of God's people said, we're going to now have an extended time of worship. And if you're here in Lenexa or Speedway, our prayer partners will be off to the side to continue to offer up prayers for you, whatever they may be, particularly if you came to receive Christ as your Savior today. And if you're online, just reach out to our team. They will be there for you as well.